It's wonderful truth that we get to sing about, and uh, I'm so thankful for it. Luke chapter 10, I am thankful for the different personalities of song leaders and preachers and laborers and ushers and piano players and nursery workers. Man, God uses all kinds of us, doesn't he? And I'm, I'm thankful for that. And the, it's the same God that we praise, no matter who's leading it, who's preaching it, who's talking about it. And I'm thankful, so thankful for him. Um, uh, the girls are singing this morning. They had to get this ready w- with, I mean, just on really short notice. And so had a change because of some sickness. And so I appreciate them getting it ready. They're going to sing in just a moment. We're going to begin reading in verse number 17. We've already dealt with verse 17, but I want you to be reminded of the context. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been here. And so Jesus has sent out the 70 to do his work to preach the kingdom, and he gave them power to heal and to cast out demons. The purpose of that healing and that power was not their own gratification or elevation It was a demonstration of the authenticity and authority of the name of Jesus Christ. And that salvation was through him. And so when they did a miracle, it was only for the purpose of affirming the message that they were preaching. So they come back and they're just stoked about it. Man, we, Jesus, we were casting out these demons. Look at verse 17 and the 70 returned again with joy. And and it's not wrong but their focus was on this. Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. I mean, they're pumped up about what God is letting them do. And, and it's okay to be excited about that. But there was some misplaced focus with their enthusiasm. And so Jesus talks about Satan falling and how he has given them power over those devils. But then notice verse 20. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So then we get into verse 21 with that as the setting. In that hour, what do you mean in that hour? In in the hour, in, in the context of this conversation, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, now look, I'll say it again in a minute. Anytime the text says Jesus rejoices over something, we ought to pay attention to that. I thank thee. He's talking to God. What you said, he is God. Right. The triune God is interacting here. You're like, I don't get it. Right. He's amazing. (laughs) He's talking to the Father. But he's with the Father. Right. It's wonderful. (laughs) Here, what are you talking about? God's amazing. And you're like, this creates tension for me. It shouldn't. You should just enjoy how awesome God is. (laughs) I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knoweth who the Son is but the Father, and, and who the Father is but the Son, and he to whom the Son will reveal him. And he turned unto, excuse me, he turned him unto his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things that ye see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see those things which ye see, And have not seen them. And to hear those things which ye hear. And have not heard them. And then just to drive home the point. We'll get to this in a couple of weeks. Because of the revival next Sunday. So the Lord willing two Sundays from now. But the very next interaction. Is a man who thinks he can earn his way into heaven. And so all of this context. Is about understanding. How amazing salvation is. We get so bored with it. But we're not going to rush through this. And you need to get over being used to being saved. So here's the title. The Joy of the Savior. The Joy of the Savior. If I can give a subtitle to it, don't be used to being saved. Don't be used to being saved. You may be seated. This song fits well 
I'm thankful for it. It's a song that's been sung here before. I think it's called My King is Known by Love, and he certainly is. And you ought to be thankful for that. And so these ladies are going to sing, and then we'll get to the message. Rejected with thorns upon his brow. What kind of king would leave his throne and make my sin and shame his own? Yet he gave his life for me. He gave his life for me. My king is known by mercy. My King is known by grace, for the hope in His name and the power that saves. My King is known by the cross. My King is known by an empty grave, owing all that He does. So it's a great, it is a great song, but I love, I love hearing the Selvage girls singing that, and the Pile girls as well, it's a blessing, but it sure is special, and if you know, you know their story, man, they got a great mama, and an even greater God, and uh, I'm thankful for the love and what God does in our lives, even through great adversity, and that's a great job singing about it, my daughters too, <laughs> it is, it's a blessing. I should appreciate all of that. So there is a very frustrating irony 
when you watch a, a college student who is enjoying the benefits of a full scholarship and uh, all that comes with that complain about how bad this country is. <laughs> um, I, I, but this isn't a tendency for college students, it's a tendency for your kids. <laughs> See, we get a lot less response when we start bringing that a little closer to home. And you know how it is. Um, it, when you have a, a big family, you're going to get varying degrees of Christmas presents. Okay, and, and, and sometimes all you get is a pair of socks. Now, I mean, we laugh at that, but there was a time when people celebrated getting a pair of socks. Now, that's a real, that's a real thing. And so you watch your kids... And they're like, ah, socks, and they chuck it. And, and then they'll complain about, well, I didn't get this or I didn't get this with no thought for how good they have it every day. It's like a professional athlete who lives above the 1% complaining about what a horrible nation this is where he's getting rich and loaded. <laughs> People have come from all over the world and found America to be a haven of rest. And I'm thankful for it. Not a perfect nation. I'm, just, I'm, try, I'm going somewhere with this. We just get used to how good we have it. In an unhealthy way. And it creates an epidemic of entitlement and laziness and criticism, and we just become very miserable people. In verse 21, Jesus rejoiced in his spirit. Now, I'm, I, I love to laugh, and by the way, laughter is a gift from God. I, I, love to, I love to be silly, and I believe that in the right way at the right time, it is also a gift from God. And a, a merry heart does good, doeth good like a medicine. Now, I thank God for the gift of laughter. I thank God. And, that, and listen, our capacity to laugh comes from God. But there's, there's this casual idea about Jesus that he was just kind of a chuckling buddy that was just slapping people on the back. It, as God on this earth and confronting the seriousness of sin and the heaviness of Satan and the weight of his own crucifixion, and the adversaries that he was facing, I don't believe at all that during his earthly ministry, Jesus was this giddy, kind of laughable, like, um, what is it, go lucky? What, what, is that happy go lucky? Good night. And my brain is just out there. It's happy go lucky, like, hey, oh, man, isn't this funny? Huh? I don't believe Jesus approached life like that. There was too much that was serious, there was too much that was at stake. And when it says that he rejoiced, it's not talking about him finding something funny. And again, humor is not wrong. The right kind of humor is not wrong. Laughing together, being able to laugh at one another with each other, that's actually a gift from God. That's a sign of a healthy church when you can laugh at each other with each other. Now look, don't lie about this. You know you laugh at me. Now, yeah, yeah, thank you, Brother Dave. And I ought to be able to laugh at you. And we ought to be able to do it together and have a good time about it. We shouldn't be like, I can't believe they would laugh. Well, if you had seen what they saw, you would have laughed too. <laughs> but this isn't some giddy kind of humor where we're just chuckling about it. This is the eternal son of God who is about to give his life on the cross to redeem all mankind from sin, he is about to pay a price that no one else could pay so that he could make salvation available to anyone that believes in him. This is a heavy, an eternally heavy work. Look, he knows that, he, he understands that this price on the cross is, is beyond human comprehension. And so when it says that he's rejoicing, it's not a shallow, casual giddiness where he's laughing about something that is just kind of sweet. No, this is a deep appreciation for something. 
He's rejoicing over something. He's valuing something that goes beyond a moment of comfort or humor. In fact, it transcends every moment of discomfort and burden. This is something that knowing the darkness of the cross that is coming, he is still rejoicing over it. So what is it? Well, as we talked about, the context of this is teaching his followers to value salvation and by, by the illustrations and by thousands of thoughts that you can have about your own experiences where you take things for granted, he sees in his disciples a tendency to not value salvation like they need to. You know, just please get this for a moment. If we were as passionate about the grace of God and the salvation of Jesus Christ as we are about politics, as we are about sports, as we are about our hobbies, as we are about our personal offenses, if we were as passionate about Jesus as we are those things, a lot more would be done for the gospel. There'd be a lot less fighting among the people of God. There'd be a lot less angry people the world would be infused with the goodness of God if his people would allow themselves to be reminded of just how good they have it. Look, there are others who could speak about this, this, this passage far more articulately than I'm able to. So forgive the simplicity of it. I'm simply trying to share it to you in the way that I can understand it and comprehend it. But asking you for a moment to sit at the table of grace and be reminded of how blessed you are. Give you one more illustration. You ever taken your kids to a buffet? Okay, well, before you start whining, take my eight to a buffet. Now, you got your kids at a buffet. I'm talking like it's one of these international buffets. <laughs> and they got everything there. I love seeing crawfish besides sushi, besides pizza, beside pizza, beside jello, beside mac and cheese, <laughs> beside a poorly cooked hamburger. But I'm not gonna lie, sorry, I'm on I'm on this distraction for a moment. I have never eaten a buffet hamburger. And they're cooking steak, and they got rotisserie chicken, and they got some kind of pudding, and they got green bean casserole, and, and they got chicken pad thai, and they got fish that's been broiled or baked or all of it. Maybe it was just microwaved. I don't know. And then salad, because, like, we're going to wash it down and pretend we're healthy. I mean, I just, <laughs> y'all aren't enjoying this. So I... I do have a point. You, have a, you go to a buffet, and your kids, I can't find anything to eat. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I can't. There is nothing here that I like. Can I just tell you that grace is an amazing display of God's goodness towards us? And yet we sit down at his table of goodness. No, get it. It's all right. We sit, just pray for Miss Peggy. We sit down at the table of God's goodness, and this is what we conclude. I just don't have a lot to be thankful for. No, I'll get to that later. So there's a couple of thoughts. Number one, Jesus starts off with the accessibility of salvation in verse 21 and 22. He talks about who it's accessible to in verse 21, and then he talks about in verse 22 how it's accessible to us, the accessibility of salvation. Now, he starts off his prayer, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth. That was a statement that was common among the Hebrews as a designation for the only true God. That's who God is. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. Man, the earth is his footstool. Heaven is his throne. He holds the seas in his hand. The, he set a compass. He set a boundary upon the oceans that they cannot pass. He knows the stars by their name. He's numbered the sand. He's numbered your hair, however many or however few. He is the God of heaven and earth. 
And so Jesus says to him, thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Now people would erroneously read this statement and say, see, and say, see, this proves that Calvinism and the election of God decides who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. This proves that point because he hid it from some and he revealed it to others. But if that's what you read into this, you're completely misunderstanding the point. You go back, I believe just a chapter, you go back to Luke chapter 9 and remember, no stay with me, don't look there, make a note of it. You go back there and the disciples were rebuking people who were bringing their children to Jesus. So you got moms and dads who are seeing what Jesus is doing, and they don't even comprehend it all. They're just like, obviously God's with him, and we want God's blessing on our kids, and we're going to bring them. By the way, Jesus blessing them doesn't necessarily mean that they were saved, but it does mean that children can have access to Jesus, and that children can be saved, because Jesus said this, except you become as one of these little ones. So what is he talking about here? I love this about salvation, Brother Dave. He puts it on the bottom shelf. No, no, he takes it from the glory of heaven. He takes it from heights that are both inconceivable and unattainable by us. We can't comprehend it, and if we could comprehend it, we certainly couldn't achieve it on our own. And he brings it all the way down to where a four-year-old child who understands enough that I'm a sinner and Jesus died to save me, can call on the name of Jesus and they can be born again. He puts salvation on the bottom shelf. So why does he do that? So anybody can have it. You know what I have to do when something's on a top shelf? Well, Dylan and Calvin don't know. But here's what I have to do when something's on the top shelf. I'm not going to show you, Fia, I. <laughs> Actually, you want me to? Get up here. Come on, let's just have some fun. This is completely impromptu. Sit down, right there. No, 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 slide down, slide down. This is what I have, right there, no, right there. This is what I have to do. Go ahead. Get up. Whoa, whoa. Got it. Got it. No, 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 wait, wait. Are, are you getting the point? I can't get there on my own. No, 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 no. Get it, get it. You make fun, you make jokes about height all day. I can't achieve salvation on my own. Okay, I'm going to get down now. Let go. No, you're good, you're good, you're good. (laughs) Please, please, please get this. People were coming to Jesus with this. No, I got my good works. No, I've got my religious experience. No, I've got my knowledge. No, I've never done that. No, look, God. I'm not a bottom shelf person. And Jesus is saying this. You approach God from any shelf other than the bottom shelf, it's going to be hid from you. You know why there are so many people with degrees that are so ignorant and foolish? I'm not against people having degrees. I have them. No, you're not. no, I'm not against education. I pursue it. If I'm going to be a pastor and a counselor, if my life is going to be used to make a difference, then I want to be as effective at helping people as I can. I want to grow in all the ways that is necessary to grow in order to be a help. I'm not against knowledge, but knowledge puffeth up. And it's not more humanistic Focus knowledge that we need. It's the wisdom of God. And that wisdom doesn't come from you approaching God from the top shelf. It comes from you being willing to admit, I'm on the bottom shelf. And that's where you find access to God. It's not coming to him with your status. It's coming to him with your helplessness. It's not coming to him with your accomplishments. It's coming to him with your sinfulness. It's not coming to him with your perfection. It's coming to him with your failure and your weakness. And God opens up the door and he gives you all of him and all of heaven and all of life and all of forgiveness. But it's not at the top shelf 
or the middle shelf with the experts and the self-pronounced righteous people. It is on the bottom shelf where he shed abundantly his grace for anyone who will believe. He put it on the bottom shelf so that even a baby could have it. What do you mean by that? You can be uneducated, unlearned in every way. But if you have the faith of a child to believe in Jesus, he will give you eternal life and you become a joint heir with God himself. Degrees and accomplishments, while they have their value in place, do not earn you favor with God. He is a God who took his righteousness and love and put it on the bottom shelf so that anybody could have it. Then he answers this question. Who? Well, who's willing to go to the bottom shelf? You know, it's, uh, it's a good illustration. Thank you, Lord, for it. For the top shelf, you got to reach. The bottom shelf, you got to get down and humble yourself. You know what the problem is with a lot of believers? You want to live your life like you're a top shelf Christian. Instead of just remembering where God found you, where he gave it to you, how good he is to have opened up your heart to his love, and he pours it into your life. This is where grace is. It's not reaching and attaining and climbing on top of one another and pushing past each other. Grace is on the bottom shelf, and we get there by getting low in humility before a God who who put himself on the bottom shelf. Man, I, Andrew and I were talking last night. I asked her, I said, what's one, of your, what's one of your favorite passages? Philippians 2. Talking about Jesus. This was her answer. Talking about Jesus. Um, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus went to the bottom shelf so that you could have salvation from the bottom shelf. Say, I want to be saved. I need God's help. It's not by reaching up there. It's by getting low where you are. And knowing that he sees you and that he loves you. But then, you say, hey, how? Well, look at verse 22. All things are delivered to me of my Father. He talks about this special, unique connection that he has with the Father. He said in John to the religious leaders, before Abraham was, I am. That's referring, that phrase, I am, is referring to Yahweh, the self-existent one. He said, I am one with the Father. He said to Thomas in John 14, I believe if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is eternally one with God Almighty. He is God Almighty. He took on human flesh. And I understand that is beyond our ability to completely comprehend. But Jesus in the womb, Jesus on the earth is as much God as he was before. And he is after the eternal God. So how is salvation so accessible? Philippians 2, Jesus brought it to the bottom shelf. It's amazing. So incredible that we have so much access. Here's what I say about salvation. It's awesome. I remember the first time, and, and you got to remember, I grew up, I grew up in Louisiana, and then a few few years in Missouri. You don't know about elevation there. Now we know about stuff that you don't know about. <laughs> Idaho doesn't know about swamps, <laughs> and you can praise the Lord for it. And but, and I remember the first time seeing the Rockies. We, I, I was a teenager, and it was in the summer. And again, I've never, 
in Louisiana, you've seen snow a couple of times, but you say the word snow in Louisiana and everything shuts down. No, I mean, you say, literally, you say the word, there could be an inch. School shut down for two days. I'm not exaggerating that. It's hilarious. <laughs> and all you kids are like, man, I wish I lived in Louisiana right now. I remember standing there as a teenager and just being overwhelmed. And it was in the summer, and yet we had gone on this hike, and we had gone up to around 12, 13,000 feet. And, and you're, just, you're just looking out over these vast, rugged mountains, and it starts snowing. And I remember thinking this, God, help me to not forget this. Just, it's awesome. I remember when I got the call about considering to come to Idaho, which is now Idaho. Yeah. No, yeah, I got to remember, we've been here long enough now that some of, that, that for Jaron, it's really the only life that he's known. He's eight, he doesn't know anything else, man. He's just Idaho, I love it. It's our, it's our home. Oh, I'm, I'm thankful for it. I remember in, in Oklahoma where I was on staff and I got this call and it, man, just, okay, I, I've, I've literally, I can count on one hand the number of times I've thought about Idaho. <laughs> Not being ugly, I just, it, it wasn't on my radar at the time. I'm like, what's in Idaho? And I just randomly come across Stanley Lake. Uh, yeah, you see, some of you have gotten used to it. Some of you have lived here for 50 years and never seen it. Get me started on something else here. Good night. People, take a drive. No, I, no I, saw, I saw that place. I saw that place and I told Andrea, as soon as we moved there, I'm taking you and the kids there. I'm not kidding. We moved here the last weekend of September. Two weeks later in October, we were driving up there at like four in the morning. On the way up, a herd of elk run out in front of us. I call my brother in Missouri and wake him up. I'm like, dude, elk, like a whole flock of them. They just, they just ran out in front of us. I mean, I've, I've pulled the vehicle over on the side of the road. Kids are sleeping. Andrea's still mad that we're making this trip. And I'm like, this elk, just, just awesome. Like, the last time I saw elk was at a petting zoo or a picture on that geo wild for crying out loud. It's awesome, man. I'm going somewhere. And then we get up to Stanley Lake, and it was completely fogged in. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Literally, we parked like from me to Brother Robert, and we didn't see the water. Oh, yeah. So then we had to come back. <laughs> That's like crystal clear with the, with the mountains behind it. No, I mean, it's awesome. I have a Ferrari in my office. You're like, really? Yeah, Brother Andrew got it for me. It's a Ferrari. It's like, that big? <laughs> He's like, Pastor, I just, I want to take care of you, man. <laughs> I'm like, well, Brother Andrew, you'll be the first one I give a ride in this. Hallelujah. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever seen a Ferrari? Like, have you been, like, close to one? Oh, man, it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, we don't need vehicles but in heaven, but, man. <laughs> I know I'm being ridiculous. It's just, it's fantastic. You remember holding your first child? Or your eighth? You know how you, you know, if you're married, you, you, there's two different ways you can look at your spouse. Actually, there's several ways. <laughs> yeah. but, but there's one way, and, and you just look, at, I'm just looking at Andrea the other day. It's like, God, thank you. You know what I'm talking about? And she looks at me, and she's like, God, please help me. It's <laughs> us. It's fine. It's fine. You know, just so many awesome things. And yet, you know what's amazing? Oh, you know what's amazing? 
we get bored with it. We just get, we just get bored. Yeah, I got these kids. Oh, that's pretty amazing. Oh, I got this. I got these friends. Mm-hmm. Oh, I get to do this service, but yeah. Yeah, I get to teach this class in here. I get, yeah, I have these, I have these things in my life. Eh, I see these things. Eh. And at the root of it is this. We stop appreciating how amazing salvation is. Look, look, verse 22, this is what Jesus says. He says this. There have been prophets and kings that have desired to see the things that you are witnessing right now. What is he talking about? Well, think about men like Jeremiah and Isaiah. Think about David, the man after God's own heart. Look, they understood elements of the, of the promise that the Messiah was going to come. They understood that a redeemer would come. But God still hadn't completely opened the veil to the level of access that we would have to God. This is the kind of access that we're talking about. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If you are suffering or struggling, you can come boldly before the throne of grace. That you can obtain mercy and grace to help in time of need. If any man confess his sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. You can call unto me and I will answer you. We have unlimited unrestrained access to God. It's amazing. I I said it wrong. It's not verse 22. It's verse 23 and 24, I believe. But anyway, here is the point of this. This is what Jesus is saying. You have this awesome accessibility and you get bored with it or you value other things over it. You cease to be excited about it. Can it, when I first, when, when we moved here, I'm pulling up on the, on the Franklin exit in Caldwell, and people laugh, you say Caldwell, and they're like, <laughs> Caldwell's fantastic. So is Nampa. So is Meridian, Eagle, Boise, Middleton. New Plymouth, Melba. Am I covering everybody here? <laughs> I remember moving here, and people are like, man, Caldwell. Caldwell. And I'm like, yeah, quit talking to me. I'm from Louisiana. Y'all have no idea what you're talking about. Stop it. This is pristine, hallelujah. Caldwell, Caldwell. I'm 1A, thank you. I'm some A1 sauce. This whole valley needs Jesus, amen. Where am I going with this? Oh, yeah, I remember I pulled up on Franklin in Caldwell. And when we were visiting here, it was real hazy, the smoke, inversion, something like that. And we, and we couldn't really see the mountains. We pull up on that exit, and you can just, you look to the east, and you, you can just see them, and it, and it was glorious. And you're like, well, it's not the Rockies. Well, it's kind of connected, but it's still pretty awesome. And this is what, and this is what I've worked at every, every day. I work at this every day. Be excited about where God lets you live. No, just be excited about it every day. I mean, drive to work. I'm driving south on Middleton, driving here to the office, and you can look to the southwest, and you can see the Owyhees. You can look to the east. And this morning, I've made this drive hundreds, thousands of times, and just all the snow that got dumped over the last 24, 48 hours on the Boise, and I'm telling Jason, Jason, look at those mountains. And I don't know which direction I'm pointing right now, but I'm just in the car. We're driving this way and that way. Got it. And I'm like, Jason, look at those mountains. It's just so amazing. And then you see the sun, the, the rays peeking through the clouds. I'm like, it's awesome. And you, you know what the truth is? People get bored living here. Get bored. You know what's worse? You get bored with Jesus. You get bored with how good you have it as a child of God. You know what's interesting about this? Is that Jesus rejoiced over giving you salvation. Isn't that that what this says? That salvation was entrusted to him and that he put it on the bottom shelf in that God revealed it to babes. No, Jesus is rejoicing over the wisdom and the work and the power of God to take salvation and then to bring it down to sinful man. He is rejoicing that it's available to anyone that will humble themselves. He is rejoicing over the mighty work and the mysterious power of God to bring salvation to us. 
He is rejoicing over that. And here's what's amazing about it. He is rejoicing over something that is going to cost him everything. He is rejoicing over giving us something that is going to cost him the cross. You know what happens to us today? We get bored with receiving everything that cost us nothing. Salvation, yeah, I got it. There's so little appreciation for receiving what he took great joy in providing. Let me me say it again. We have so little appreciation for what he took great joy in providing. You know what that produces? Entitlement. Conflict. Offense. Victimhood. Hopelessness. Because we think the work of God is only demonstrated in our physical circumstances without understanding that the greatest demonstration of the goodness of God has nothing to do with health or relationships or paycheck or opportunity. The greatest demonstration of the goodness of God was paying for every sin that you could ever be guilty of and giving you eternal life. And yet we don't realize or care how much he paid, how privileged we are in order to to be able to have his life. So here's the statement, and then I'll make a, just ask you to consider a few thoughts. Your life reflects the value that you place on salvation. Jesus was trying to get his disciples to value what he valued. I can't overstate this. Man, Ms. Gretchen, Ms. Yelena, I love you two ladies. And there, if the Lord tarries, and, and, and by the grace of God, we, we keep following him, and this church continues to live on after I cease to be the pastor, there are going to be testimonies of people that don't know you, but they were inspired by your faith. Man, I'm thankful for it. It's awesome. I know you've had it hard. But I also know you have it good. No, you do have it good. You know why? Because everything that you could ever be guilty of, Jesus died on the cross to pay for it and provide you eternal life so that you can live in his freedom and his grace and his forgiveness and his hope and his peace no matter how hard things are. You're a daughter of the king. No, you. You are a daughter of the king. And it costs you nothing except to humble yourself and accept it. It costs you nothing except to receive it by faith. One of my favorite birthdays, having my night get interrupted and you sitting on the floor with my wife and I and asking Jesus to save you. You know why I didn't have a midlife crisis at 40? One, because I don't care. Two, because when somebody gets saved on your birthday, it's pretty stinking awesome. It's like, 40's the new eternal life, hallelujah, man. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm just just messing around. No, please get it. Your life is going to reflect that, whether or not you value it. Okay, so I got over here and I got really intense. Can I say about these two ladies? They're not perfect. The last thing they need or want is people following them around. Let me see if what pastor says is true. Now, if you've paid enough attention, you know this is true. They live out the fact that they value their salvation. Because valuing salvation isn't limited to when things are going the way you want it. Living out salvation is demonstrated sometimes in some of the darkest moments of your life. And they have children that have a consistent witness of how good God is because of the way they live out faith and joy and consistency and hope. I'm just saying, your life reflects how much you value salvation. Please get this, please get this. It is possible to be saved and to not live like you're saved. But how you live your life is saying what you think about the one who gave it to you. Okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll be done. 
in a minute. If you're grumpy all the time, you don't value your salvation enough. You don't. Well, no, pastor, you don't know my situation, right? Don't need to. Anybody in this room can list a bunch of reasons that we have to be grumpy about something. Come on, come on, people. I'm not trying to minimize your difficulty. I'm not trying to minimize your heartache or your adversity or your challenges. But we are children of God Almighty. No, look, I have opportunity to speak with people and interact with people. And I do have conversations with people that say these two things to me. I don't believe in God like you do, but I'm miserable and I hate my life. And here's the solution. If your view about God would change, your view about life would change. But there are people who have the correct view of God, but who live like they have the wrong view of God. I'm not telling you that there aren't serious things in your life. There aren't heavy things in your life. There aren't hurtful things in your life. There aren't important things in your life. But a child of God who is always angry and grumpy and mad at everybody and unwilling to let anybody get close and always finding something to complain about, always finding something to criticize, you know what your problem is? It's not the economy, it's not the politics, it's not your spouse, it's not a lack of a marriageable person, it's not the house you live in, it is that you don't value Jesus like you ought to. No, mamas, I know that being a mama is hard. You say, how do you know? Because I've watched my wife do it for a really long time. Like, you, you think that's easy? No, I know it's hard. Dads, I know that working and worrying for your family and working so hard to provide, I know that it's hard. But having Jesus ought to help you to have some hope and some optimism. Your attitude about Jesus has to change. You got to value, literally value him. You know why so many couples fight each other so much? Because they pay more attention to each other's flaws than they do how good Jesus is to them. Husband, stop talking about the things your wife isn't doing and talk about the things that Jesus has done for you. Wife, do the same thing. Well, my husband, how about, well, your savior? You'd be a lot more thankful for your church if you were a lot more thankful for the Jesus who made it all possible. You know, you know, eventually you will get tired of this church or any church if your primary focus is the pastor or the people or whoever else. No, 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 no. Look, look, okay, I'm just, mm, family, family, please get this. There are churches, there are pastors who mess things up. There are church families who mess things up. But there are also times when the children of God get, they, they, they take for granted the goodness of God so much that they just become nitpicky and critical about everything and anything. And it goes back to this root. You just don't value Jesus like he values you. Man, Brother Sharp, it's awesome. To sit here and know that God valued me enough to die for me. Brother Tom, Miss Jan, it's amazing to know that God left heaven for me. And you get it, Miss April? You get it, Felipe? Brother Don and Miss Jerry, Jesus died for your sin. He came for you. Jesse, Andrew and Stevie, Miss June, Miss Rachel, yeah, the Brother Paul. Your wife's in heaven today. I know you miss her, but you know where she is. And she's in heaven because Jesus valued her. And this is what we do. You know what? I really can't sing this song because I don't, I don't, I don't really get excited. What? You don't get excited about Jesus dying for you? I need to stop. He put it on the bottom shelf so that anybody could have it. If you'll... If you'll get back to the place to where you value Jesus, if you're going through a great trial right now, I, I promise you, it will give you hope. He will give you hope. Are you sick? Start valuing Jesus. He'll give you hope. Have you been through a devastating relationship crisis? He will give you hope. Have you failed miserably? He will give you hope. Have you been failed miserably? 
He will give you hope. Are you unsure about the future? He will give you hope. Man, Brother Max pointed it out this morning. You turn on ESPN, well, for a lot of us, that ain't a good thing. You turn on the news, for none of us is that a good thing. But you just get your focus on Jesus, and this is what you realize. Man, God is really good to his people. We should be as excited about being saved as he was about saving us. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. There's a lot of questions I could ask. I'm going to ask this one question. How many of you before God you'd admit Every head bowed, every eye closed. You, you say, I know I'm saved, but you'd admit there have been days that have gone by that I have not thanked God for saving me and I have not rejoiced in how good he is. Would you raise your hand? Yeah, yeah. Let's, come on, be honest, man. It's all of us. Man, I, I want to rejoice in God healing. I want to rejoice in God giving victory. I want to rejoice in a building. I want to rejoice in budgets. I want to rejoice in unity. I want to rejoice in progress. I want to rejoice in opportunity. I want to rejoice in all the goodness that God gives us. But the foundation of all of it is just being thankful that he saved us in, in something that is so easily accessible and yet so eternally transformable we take for granted. I'm not minimizing your difficulty. I'm just trying to emphasize the value of your Savior. So maybe this morning, we need clarity in a whole bunch of other areas. Maybe the clarity will come when we start valuing Jesus the right way. And we choose, we choose to be excited about him. We choose to value him. We choose to rejoice in how amazing it is that he took salvation and he gave it to us where we were. You didn't have to climb out of the pit. He lifted you out of the pit. You didn't have to earn salvation. He gave it to you. And yet we're so distracted with so many other things. So can we do this? When's the last time you just came to the altar and said, God, I just want to thank you for saving me. So good to be your child. Can we, can we not sit here in our piousness and be excited about the God who took on the horror of hell and sin and death and he fought that battle so that we could have eternal life? Can we just be excited about Jesus? Excited enough to come and talk to him about it. Excited enough, valuing him enough to see all of our life through the prism of his grace. Let's all stand together. Brother Marcus, start singing. If God has spoken to your heart, respond to him this morning and call on his name.